0: today called Road to Easter. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be starting in John chapter 9 and ending at John chapter 12 on Palm Sunday, looking at the last few weeks in the life of Jesus' ministry. Now, you may know this, but Jesus, his life uh, started off with 30 years of formation and then three years of ministry. So where we pick up our story here today in John chapter 9, Jesus is in his final year of ministry, and it's gotten to the point where there are some people that follow him, some people that doubt him, but there are some religious folks that also want to kill Jesus. And the reason why they want to kill Jesus is because Jesus healed people on the Sabbath or Jesus claimed to call God his father or claimed to be equal with God. And these are things that we're accustomed to. But in the context of Jesus' final few weeks, these were critical points of disagreement for the people that surrounded Jesus, especially the religious leaders of the time. And so John, as he's writing his gospel and as he's penning these few chapters that we'll see that leads to the cross, he's trying to show us this, what it means to follow Jesus in in a world that is skeptical of him. So we're going to dive right in. You guys with me so far? It's only been like 30, 30 seconds, so hopefully you're still with me. John chapter 9 verse 1 is where we'll start. Here's what it says. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind. Now, one of the traditional beliefs of the time was that if you had a disability, it was caused because of a sin. And the disciples would have been familiar with this belief. And so they asked Jesus, this man was born blind, he's disabled from birth. Whose fault was it, his parents or was it his own fault? This is not just a belief that people had back then. People still believe that to this day. Trust me, I would know. And maybe there's some of you here this morning that might believe that as well, and it's natural because we see something that doesn't fit into a box or is not typical, and then we say, well, there must be something wrong, and then we say, well, what's the cause of that issue? And so Jesus... Response to this, verse 3, he says this, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus here puts the argument to Russ. He says, disability is not caused by sin. Now, if you want further proof of this, there's another passage. There's another story in Luke chapter 5, and you may be familiar with the story. It's a story when Jesus is in a house, he's preaching, the crowds have surrounded him, and there's a group of friends that are trying to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And there's so many people they can't get through the doors that they break through the ceiling and bring their friend to Jesus. Some of us need friends like that in our lives that will break down some walls to get us some help, right? And so here's this paralyzed man in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. And then all of a sudden you hear this gasp from the back of the room, the religious elite, the Pharisees are there and they say, who are you that you can forgive sins? And Jesus asks them a simple question. He says, which is greater that I forgive his sins or that he can walk again. And then Jesus tells the man to get up and walk. Notice what Jesus just did here. This man was healed of his spiritual disability before he was healed of his physical disability. So in other words, Jesus forgave his sins and he was still disabled. So disability and sin is not connected. And then Jesus says, get up and walk. I think I love the story because I think it's so important for the modern day church and the evangelical church that we find ourselves in. And here's the thing, God is all-powerful, he's omnipotent, he can do all things, he can heal us from any sickness, any disease, and we should ask God for physical healing when we go through that and exercise our faith. But some of us need to know that God has already done the greater work in our lives, which is our healing from spiritual disability, because our spiritual healing, the forgiveness of our sins, has secured us for eternity, while physical healing might make you feel better for a few more years. And Jesus tells his disciples who ask, who committed this sin? Was it him or his parents that caused his disability? He says, neither. This was done so that God's work might be displayed in him. God's work that's displayed in us at times is physical healing. But there are other times where we won't see physical healing until we get to heaven. And if that's the case for us here in this world, our response is what Paul says, in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. That word weakness there in the Greek is asthenia, and it means feebleness of mind and body. And so Paul says, I boast in the feebleness of my mind and body because that's when the power of Christ will rest upon me. And this is the balance that we live in this world. Where we see physical healing at times, But in other times, we may not see it until we get to heaven. And that's what happens with this man. And so they walk past this man, and Jesus continues. He says, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am still in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, put it on the man's eyes. Go. Go. He told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So Jesus sees this man, spits on the ground, mixes it with mud, puts it in his eyes. It's a little gross, right? For us, it's gross in the Western world because we don't like bodily fluids. But in the Greco-Roman world that Jesus finds himself in, saliva was considered to be a healing agent. And so when Jesus spits on the ground, he's communicating his intent to heal this man. And then he mixes the saliva with mud. The very thing that God formed this blind man's body with puts it in his eyes with the intent of restoring and healing his sight. And John, though, is less concerned with the saliva and the theatrics and the mud. John is trying to show us something. Notice what John says. Jesus puts the mud-saliva mixture on his eyes, then tells him, go to the pool, wash your eyes. And it's when this man washes his eyes that his eyes are opened. So think about it this way. This man hears a word from God. Then he walks to a pool He washes and then he sees again. What John is trying to show us here with this man's story is that sometimes there is a walk that has to happen between hearing God's voice and experiencing God's power in our lives. We have to follow through on what Jesus, some delayed responses, it's all good, you can clap. Some of you heard that and like six seconds later you're like, yes. So this man, think about it. Imagine this man heard heard Jesus, Jesus put mud on his eyes. Notice that his eyes didn't open as soon as the mud touched his eyes. Now imagine this man never goes to the pool. He just walks around with muddy eyes and blind. He's saying, look everybody, Jesus touched my eyes. In fact, he spit and put mud in my eyes. I had an encounter with Jesus. This is what many of us do in the world. We have these surface-level encounters with Jesus. So we hear his word or we say, I've had this encounter with him. I've met Jesus. But we don't realize we're still following the world blindly. We forget that discipleship means that we follow through completely on what Jesus has commanded us to do. So some of us, I'm just saying some, it's not you, just some of us, we come to church But then Monday through Saturday, we walk in the world blindly with mud in our eyes because we forget that the beauty of following Jesus is not just hearing his word, but it's obeying his word. So a good sermon might make you feel good. But ask yourself, what has God called me to do and follow through on? What would it look like for me to obey him in my own context, in my own life? So this man, he gets up, he walks He washes his eyes, and he can see again. It's what you call a classic discipleship model or a model to follow Jesus. Hear, obey, and then experience. He heard Jesus, he obeyed him, and then he experienced the power of God in his life. And I love this chapter. I've never preached on John chapter 9, but I love this chapter that John writes and this story because 41 verses, the entire chapter is committed to this man's story. And this man's story shows us what it means to follow Jesus, what his expectations are for us, and then also some of the obstacles that you and I will face in life once we follow through on what Jesus has called us to do. So here's what happens. This man, John says, came home seeing. He goes back home. Verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claim that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him, but he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked? He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. So he goes back home, and the people, they doubt that the man that can see now is the man that they used to know. Now, this is a real thing that we face in life. Some of you have experienced it. I've experienced it in my life. Think about it this way. This man was born blind, and he was a beggar. His, his identity, his entire life, was a, he was a blind beggar, and Jesus releases him from it. But his neighbors look at him and still see him for who he was. They say, aren't you that blind beggar? And they can't even believe it, so they say, no, he's a look-alike. He just looks like him. They couldn't accept the life change that happened in this man's life. So they'd say, no, you got to be somebody else. And sometimes this is, what it, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's part of living in a world, as Jesus promised, will hate us. We'll be countercultural to what Jesus teaches us. It's also part of just being around human beings. Because us, we human beings, we get jealous sometimes. We get envious sometimes. We get prideful sometimes. So we see someone progress in life and say, wait, you're progressing And I haven't progressed, so let me pull you back. And here's what this man's story shows us. And for some of you this morning, you need to know there are some folks in your life who will only see you for who you used to be and not who Jesus is releasing you to be. And if that's you, welcome to the club. We've all got haters in our lives. But I love this man's response because in the midst of the skeptics, He just says what he experienced. He says, no, I met a man named Jesus, and he put mud in my eyes, and then I washed it, and now I can see. In the middle of his doubters, he testifies of what Jesus did in his life. A lot of us in the room have some haters in our lives. Here's the other thing, though. Let me go a little step further. There are some of us in the room that are haters. Some of us are skeptical. We're too good at pointing out people's flaws and all. Some of us, you see that person leading that life group when you go, why are you leading a life group? Aren't you the person that used to do this at the last church? Or why are you on stage singing, bro? I remembered you when you used to go to the club. Or why are you on the prayer team if only the pastors and the elders knew who you used to be? Listen, some of us need to stop discrediting what God is doing in people's lives because your doubt. In that person is not just a doubt in that person, but a doubt that Jesus can change the life of anyone who encounters him. And so this man goes back, and they got some people doubting him. And this miracle kind of rocks the town. It shakes the town because people can't believe it. It's a blind beggar, and now he's walking around seeing and so I'm going I'm to um, summarize the next few verses because there's 41 verses in this chapter. And what happens is that they bring the religious folks. They're trying to see if the Pharisees can figure this out. Now, the Pharisees, they were the religious elite. And they held on too strongly. All their motives were right, but they held on too strongly the oral and written traditions. At times, they fail to have compassion on people. And they come to this man and they say, who did this to you? As if Jesus did something wrong. Said, who did this to you? And this man, he repeats the testimony I met this man named Jesus, mud in my eyes, I washed, and I could see again. That's what happens. And the story gets pretty wild because they have such a hard time believing that this is the man that they go and get his parents. They're like, there's no way this is you. We've got to do some DNA testing, we've got to figure this out. So they go and get his parents. And bring his parents and say, "Is this your son that was born blind? Like, is this actually him?" And here's how his parents respond: John chapter nine verse twenty. We know he's our son. The parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how can he see now? How he can see now, or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah will be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So a second time, they bring this man back who had been blind. They say, Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Again, he continues to testify of what Jesus had done in his life. Whether he's a sinner or not, that's for you guys to decide. All I know is I used to be blind, and I encountered Jesus, and I can see again. And notice the detail that John puts in there about his parents. His parents kind of distances themselves from their child because they're afraid to give the Jewish leaders an answer because the Jewish leaders of the time had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah will be kicked out of the synagogue. And so John, as he's writing the last few chapters here and leading up to the cross, he's trying to show us that there's this momentum building this energy that's building around Jesus' buzz in the town to the point that there are people that want to kill Jesus to the point that they're saying, if you follow Jesus, you're getting kicked out of the synagogue. Like Jesus is literally beginning to rock the context of the people in this town. And they continue to press him. Here's what happens in verse 28. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple." We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as far as this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. I love this man because he's so pure in his approach to the skeptics. He simply repeats what Jesus did in his life, his testimony over and over. Mud I washed, I could see. Mud I washed, I could see. They pressed him. And he said, how could you not know where he comes from? He opened the the eyes of the blind. Who else, could do, no, who else could do that? And notice here that Jesus has left the scene. Jesus is nowhere to be seen. And John shifts the attention to this man's life and his encounter with the skeptics and the doubters in his life. I imagine that this man is pressed. His parents are there. There are religious leaders there. The crowd is gathering to see him. Like, is he really the guy? It's loud, he's there, and he just has to defend himself over and over. This man is bearing witness to Jesus in his absence. And it's a model for you and I to bear witness to Jesus in his absence, full of a world of skeptics. He's testifying of who Jesus is and how he changed his life when Jesus is nowhere to be found. Let me ask you a question. Has anyone physically seen Jesus walking around recently? Raise raise your hands. Raise your hands for this as well. Has anyone experienced life change through Jesus? So John is showing us, go and tell the world about what this man named Jesus has done in your life. That's what it means to follow him. To be his witnesses in a world full of skeptics and doubters. There's no way he's the Messiah. There's no way any of this is real. This blind man simply repeats his testimony. I once was blind, but now I see. And it's because of Jesus. Over and over and over again. To the point, they say this, let's read this again. To this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. This man's life was changed forever but they use his past again to demean him. They say, You're just a blind beggar whose disability was caused by sin at birth, how dare you lecture us, religious people? They discredit God's work in his life. Who are you to lecture us? And they threw him out. Sometimes this is what, this is what follows those of us who are witnesses to the life change that Jesus has done in our lives. A world that says, who are you to lecture us? Who are you to tell us? You're Just ordinary people. That's why Jesus prays in his final prayer. We talked about this last week. He said, for they are not of the world, Father, just as I am not of the world. If we truly follow Jesus, we'll always be counter to the values of the world. And then... They throw this man out. They kick him out of the synagogue. For the context of his time, like if someone kicked you out of this church, you just go find another church. For the context of this man's life, to be kicked out of the synagogue, meant to be kicked out of that entire community because their lives revolved around the synagogue. They kicked him out. So this man... Think about it this way. He was an outcast from birth because he was a beggar that was blind. People just walked by him his whole life. Jesus releases that, sets him free. He's no longer an outcast. And then the religious people hate it, and they kick him out and make him an outcast again. It's what it means to be not of this world. You and I may never find a place in this world that feels right and comfortable when we follow Jesus. I love what happens at the end of this passage. Verse 35, so Jesus comes back in the story. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. I imagine this man gets kicked out of the synagogue. He's going, man, this guy, Jesus, he's causing so many problems in my life. Like, no one likes me anymore. They kicked me out of the synagogue. Like, they're pressing me. My parents are involved. Like, what is happening? All of this started when I met Jesus. Sometimes it feels that way when we follow Jesus. It feels like we're on this path, this journey on our own. But I love the beauty of Jesus It doesn't say the man went and found Jesus. It says Jesus went and found this man because he heard that he had been thrown out of the synagogue. Jesus pursued this man probably in his lowest moment in life. Like he just hit the lottery and they were like, nope. You're an outcast again. Probably the lowest point in his life. And Jesus pursues him follows him he has compassion on him and he gently reminds him of who he truly is and so this man had an experience with jesus he even had physical healing but notice he doesn't truly believe in jesus until he encounters jesus one-on-one and has this conversation with jesus I wonder if some of us have gotten to that point with Jesus. Maybe we've experienced him. Maybe we've heard him. Maybe we obeyed him and seen some of the blessings. But have we had this one-on-one encounter with him where he says, do you believe in the son of man? He says, you're looking at him. Jesus walks with this man because he wants him to know that he is with him the same message that he tells us before his ascension he says i will be with you always when we face doubt in this world and challenges in this world and people that are skeptical of what jesus is doing in your life in this world know that he is with you always to the end And the passage the chapter ends this way jesus said for judgment i have come into this world so that the blind will see and those Who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him and said, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. He says, If you were blind and you didn't just see me heal this man, you wouldn't be guilty. But you're telling me you saw me do this work in this man's life and still you deny me there is guilt on your life. Jesus is speaking some weighty words here to church folks. He's saying to see God at work and then still reject him is much more serious than ever, never seeing him at all. There's some weight to this thing that we call discipleship or following Jesus. It can't be a pit stop. It can't be a one-day thing, a once-a-week thing. There's weight to it, to be his witnesses, to live out what he's called us to do, to follow through completely on what he calls us to do. And Jesus says, the blind has come to see, and those who could see are actually blind. Again, he's pointing to the greater healing. This man's spirit has been awakened. awakened. But the Pharisees who already have the physical healing, their spirit is still darkened because they're blind to the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. And that's what John is trying to show us in the final chapters leading up to the last few weeks of Jesus' life. Jesus comes to remind the world that I am the light of the world that has come to bring light to the spiritually dark places of our hearts. To awaken us to know who he is so that we could be his witnesses on this earth. I don't know what the next step for you here is this morning, but I think all of us have a next step. Let's go back to the beginning of the story. Maybe you're that blind person who's never encountered Jesus. And he's reminding you of what he said right before he heals this man. I am the light of the world. Maybe today is the moment that you finally put your trust in Jesus as the light of the world. Maybe you're like the person who heard his voice but then walk around with mud in your eyes, blind, never following through on what Jesus has called you to do. Maybe the next step for you is to obey him, to ask yourselves, what has God actually called me to do on a daily basis? Maybe some of you have experienced him. You've followed through and you've experienced him and you've seen his power in your life, but then you're at work or you're in the world or you're at HEB and there's some skeptics and some doubters and all the pressure and then you just kind of shrink under the pressure. Your neighbors have no idea you're a Christian. Your coworkers have no idea you just experienced Jesus. Maybe the next step for some of you is to be witnesses to what he's done in your life. And trust that his spirit is working in your life and in the life of the person you're talking to. Maybe some of you have done all of that. And you face some doubts and some challenges. You still have some questions about this thing. Welcome to the club. Know that Jesus, just like he pursues this blind man, pursues us and reminds us of who he is. He has compassion on us. He says, do you believe? You're looking at him. Maybe there's a few of you here who've experienced him and have rejected him, maybe like the Pharisees, like there's no way this is real. This this can't be real. Maybe the next step for you is to know that he accepts you as well if you approach him and recognize him for who he is. Let me pray for us as we close. And would you consider what next step God is calling you to take this morning? God, we thank you for your word that speaks clearly. We thank you for the story of this blind man. We don't even know his name, but his story is a reflection of the journey that all of us are on when we follow you. From that first encounter to the moment where we say, I believe. The moments proceeding where you're with us, where you lift us up out of our darkness, where your strength is made perfect in our weakness, where we experience you daily. So I pray, God, for my brothers and sisters, for your church here this morning. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in their hearts right now. That you would nudge them, and if you're nudging them, and if you're leading them to take a next step, would you take that? Maybe it's just simply saying, God, I need to take a next step. None of us have arrived on our journey with Jesus. That means all of us have a next step to take. May you remind us of the areas in our lives where we're blind to see what you're doing. God, I pray for those who might not even know who you are. For the people in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our city that don't know you. May people in San Antonio come to see Jesus as the light of the world. May your name be glorified in our lives and lifted up in our lives as we become witnesses to what you've done in and through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said,